It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 182. This is a Quantum special on COVID. Now, you may think you've already heard more than enough about COVID, but I'm trying to take a broad sweep here, and I hope that this will be helpful to you and to yours. Anyway, in the beginning was this from the BBC. Officials say the 61-year-old man shopped regularly at this seafood market and that it was the source of the virus. It's been sealed off by police and disinfected. The outbreak began in December in the central city of Wuhan, home to more than 11 million people. The man was initially taken here with flu-like symptoms. Officials say around 40 more people are affected, some of them in a critical condition, but that many hundreds of others have come into contact with an infected person. Chinese health officials insist the situation's in hand. It's largely under control. Most patients are showing lighter symptoms and some of them have already been discharged. Officials say they've managed to sequence this virus's genetic structure and that it's from the same family as SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome. In 2003, Chinese officials were accused of trying to cover up a SARS outbreak, which spread rapidly, leading to more than 8,000 reported cases and killing more than 770 people. At least in this instance, authorities say they've acted early and that the virus is contained. Rich Preston, BBC News. Now, notice how it's reported. The situation is in hand. That previously, the first SARS one, the Chinese Communist Party were accused of covering up, but now the virus is contained. Well, one of the things that we have learned is that this was not true. The virus was not contained. The Chinese Communist Party did cover up and then some that the virus almost certainly came from one of their labs in Wuhan, which is owned or run by the Chinese military to develop biological warfare, that it almost certainly was not deliberately released, but was an accidental release. But then there was a cover-up that the virus itself is designed specifically to have ease of spread amongst human beings, that the Chinese Communist Party shut down Wuhan and prevented travel to the rest of China whilst keeping whilst keeping 20 flights per day at least from Wuhan to the rest of the world, including Italy, the US and elsewhere. Well, as I say, I'm going to try and do, I, I hope, as an objective a report as, as we can do, just looking at this. Now, for these past couple of years, Coronavirus has humiliated and humbled all of our attempts to say, we've got this, the situation is in hand. The situation has never been in hand. For example, at the time of recording, yesterday, Germany, which thought it had in hand, recorded 80,430 cases. Australia, which had prided itself on being almost COVID-free in the past month, has had one million cases. America, a day, uh, a few days ago, had one day with one million new cases. This new Omicron version, 
whilst it is a milder variant, it's defeating all the measures that our experts have put in place to contain it. Nobody has been able to contain it. Even China, which at the time of recording has locked down 25 million people, and I mean really locked down, you're locked in your homes. No one's been able to contain it. There have been 325 million cases throughout the world, 5.5 million dead, although you have to be careful with that figure because the figure is of those who are dead with COVID and actually not necessarily because of COVID, but also it may be that there are many more who have died with COVID but have not been diagnosed with it. In an extraordinary figure, 9.5 billion vaccine doses have been administered. Now, one of the things about COVID, when it began, there were talks about between a 1% to 3% fatality rate. That is way, way, way out of what has actually happened. The top epidemiologist, Professor John Ioannidis, published a new study which shows that the survival rate of people under the age of 20 who catch COVID is 99.9987%. 99.9987%. Even those who are over 70, the survival rate is 97%, the most vulnerable group. And these, this data was taken before the advent of mass vaccin vaccination. Uh, which ha has really reduced the level of serious illness and death. Now, speaking of which, let's say something about the vaccines. Well, this is an in incredibly important aspect, good part of uh, science, if you like, and of society. Paradoxically, uh, Donald Trump, in really supporting this, really it was one, one of the very good things that he did. Now, let me just say about the vaccines. No, they're not a Bill Gates plot. Uh, nor are they, by the way, the saviour of mankind. We now know the vaccines don't prevent you getting COVID or spreading it. We don't know how much they reduce the chance of you doing that. But it's not massive. The vast majority of cases in vaccinated nations just now are of people who've been double or even triple vaccinated. However, we also know that where the vaccines are most ineffective is as a treatment. Now, there, there may be other treatments, and uh, governments are now beginning to recognise that. But the fact is, I'm, I'm waiting to get my uh, booster vaccine, and I'm doing it not because I'm selling out and not because I'm compelled to, but because I think it will help me prevent get serious illness. But there are difficulties with the vaccines. For example... Let's think of this. In South Sudan, there are two doses of vaccine per 100 people. There have been 12 deaths per million. In Congo, 0.1 dose per 100 people, 65 deaths per million. In the UK, for example, 195 doses per 100 people and 2,175 deaths per million. Now, there's a lot of things, that, ways that you can interpret and look at those statistics. But it is abundantly clear two things. Firstly, the vaccines don't prevent transmission, as we've said, and don't prevent necessarily people getting COVID. And there's a great injustice in the world. 
countries like where my country, Australia, just now, where I think something like 200 million vaccines for a population of, of 25 million have already been purchased, if not more. But neighbouring Papua New Guinea, where the risk is far more serious, I think there is a vaccine imperialism. And it's, it's as much led by left-wing liberal progressives as it is by right-wingers. And then there's also this as regards the vaccine. And we do need to take, how will I put it, the science into account. This is from the European Medicine Agency head of vaccine strategy. I don't think uh, we see this as problematic from a safety perspective if they receive another booster dose and that this booster dose can be given also not, not too far away in time from the natural infection. In any case, uh, it is pretty clear that from an immunological perspective, if you wait a bit longer, that will make your immune response more efficient. But it's very difficult to say exactly when the booster dose should be given. And of course, there are many other factors related to the operational aspect of the vaccination campaigns and the need to get optimal protection as soon as possible that will play a role here in the decisions that member states are taking. Okay, you may not have got that, but what he was saying is that boosters risk overloading the immune system and fatiguing the population. In other words, it is not practical for us to get a booster every three to six months. It's not fair on poorer nations, but it's also not practical, and it also may be doing harm. In fact, one of the, the best things I think that's happened to many people is having been vaccinated, they've got the Omicron virus and have a much stronger now natural immunity. I tell you what, let's play a bit of music as we consider next the role of the media in this. I read the news today, oh boy About a lucky man who made the grave And though the news was rather sad Well, I just had to laugh I saw the photograph He blew his mind out in a car He didn't notice that the lights had changed A crowd of people stood and stared They'd seen his face before Nobody was really sure if he was on the house That is The Beatles, A Day in the Life. I read the news today. Oh, boy. I feel that that song is how I feel about a lot of the news just now. And a great deal about our media has been revealed through COVID. And one of the reasons that I continue to do this podcast is not because I have greater information or alone know the truth or whatever. I make lots of mistakes and things as well. But... Uh, mainstream media have really been appalling generally throughout this. And not just mainstream media, misinformation and conspiracy theories have abounded and how information is reported. So, for example, every day we get a list of COVID cases or COVID deaths. And I remember in New South Wales, somebody said to me, isn't it terrible? There are four people who've died. And I said, no, in New South Wales. And I said, no, that's wrong. And they said, oh, are you a conspiracy theorist? Don't you believe on it? I said, no, no, no. 
on average, it's 170 people, I think, uh, or somebody told me it's 150, but, you know, around that number, who die in New South Wales every day. But we don't report the cancer victims. We don't report those dying of heart attacks. We don't report the suicides. We just give figures for people who have died with COVID. In the UK, it's reckoned to be, there'll be 8,500 COVID deaths this winter. Every winter, there are between 20 and 30,000 flu and pneumonia deaths. Then you need to think how this works. And there's a man called Adam Schwab who put a thread which I thought was utterly fascinating. I'm going to read the whole of it to you, or, or most of it, because I, I think this describes the situation exactly. He said, the COVID-0 fatalists have strong Twitter followings, and he names some of them here in uh, Australia or America, and they cross-promote each other. None are infectious diseases experts, but somehow became epidemiologists during COVID. Point two, the fatalists incessantly post about every possible and impossible danger, like new variants. Remember Lambda and Omega, they were going to kill us all or an exaggerated risk of long COVID shown to be tiny where a control group is used. In virtually all instances, the fatalists are proven wrong. That doesn't bother them. There's zero cost to being wrong. If challenged, they point to the precautionary principle, despite the huge costs and damage which is caused by taking action, especially the cost to the poor. Then, one of their incessant warnings is picked up by a mainstream media outlet who love bad news. Or they may have political reasons as well. They want the government of the day to appear bad. The fatalist is then treated as an expert on infectious diseases. Their comments are laced with hyperbole, demanding governments immediately impose strong restrictive practices. The general public ignores the demands as extreme initially. The data is minimal. And to overcome this, they get a friendly expert like Neil Ferguson, for example, of the Lancet Institute who produce a comically inaccurate model showing variant X will cause a massive number of deaths and overwhelm the health system. Modelling is based on tiny samples with incorrect assumptions. So this year, for example, already Neil Ferguson had said if the government did not act, there would be 5,000 deaths per day in the UK. The government did not act and it's nearer 500 or less than that. Most journalists don't understand detailed modelling, nor the assumptions. They report the modelling as fact. And the expert-justified fear-driven narrative is then picked up by a newswire, Reuters or Bloomberg, and actually uh, then passed on to lots of people who tweet about it or put it on Facebook. Syndicated newspapers who don't have investigative journalists much more. And so the original data is forgotten, there's a fictitious, doom-ridden modelling. Governments who are constantly running internal polls and benefit from wartime fear soften their views on the intrusive, restrictive practices. And there you have it. That's how much of this stuff comes about. I find it really, really depressing and really infuriating. As the number of deaths here in New South Wales began to go down, they started reporting instead as a highlight figure, the number of cases. And then when it became clear that the cases weren't really that serious, they started reporting deaths again. All right, let's listen to this. COVID-19. Like you, it wasn't until early 2020 that I started paying attention to this. 
Then came the investigation. Then came the revelations. And then the writing. Tonight, join me as I tell you what I've discovered about where the virus came from and when it first appeared. Mr. President, welcome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. You've seen all of the intelligence. When do you think the virus first started? Well, some of the intelligence is classified and I can't talk about it, but common sense tells you it most likely, and when I say most likely, like 95% came from the Wuhan lab. Uh, I don't know if they had bad thoughts or whether it was gross incompetence, but one way or the other, it came out of Wuhan and it came from the Wuhan lab. Now, as I say, not all media are bad, and that was Sherry Markson, whose book, What Happened in Wuhan, I've written a review of. It's the book you need to get to understand where COVID came from. But to my mind, she demonstrates clearly that COVID is a human, a human-generated virus, manipulated virus, designed to harm and infect humans which escaped from a biological lab which was operated by the Chinese Communist Party. So let's come on to the science. Now, I've mentioned that already with modelers. So like in, in, in the United Kingdom, there's a group called, called SAGE. Before Christmas, epidemiologists at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine produced a series of dire scenarios in which they said Omicron could lead to between 25,000 and 75,000 deaths by the end of April. But now they've admitted that's just entirely wrong. One of the things that's come out of this is be very wary about trusting modelling because it's what's put in. Now, there's a marvellous essay. I wish I could read it all. I've put a link to it in Nature by, Sunit, by Dr. Sunitra Gupta, who's from the Department of Zoology in the University of Oxford. And but let me just read you this little bit. Just bear with me. Nothing can be sadder than the sight of equations crawling down a page of literary theory. Nothing more raucous than the invasion of simple rules of cause and effect into the language of psychoanalysis. And then this is the key bit. Far less obvious in its poverty of reasoning is the inappropriate application of mathematical models to the analysis of certain scientific problems for which we have no obvious solutions. This is brilliant. These projects are usually driven by our inability to cope with the unpredictable. Stock market crashes, hurricanes, earthquakes and epidemics. Although we now have at our disposal some fairly sophisticated methods of characterising uncertainty, these do not actually enable us to control or even predict the extent of disaster. Used injudiciously in these circumstances, mathematics and especially mathematical modelling, can serve to obfuscate rather than clarify, or at best add nothing at all to the situation other than the illusion of control. And that's it. It's the illusion of control. So our politicians, if we can control the figures, we've got control. But it is worse than that. At the time of recording this week, emails have been obtained I think by Republicans in the US Congress, which show what Shari Markson had stated, that a number of significant scientists, 
some of the main scientists believed that it was much more likely that the virus might have leaked from a lab. But they dis- but they drafted an article for a scientific journal, which I think it was either Nature or The Lancet, arguing that the suggestion not just of a manipulated virus, but even of an accidental spill, could be confidently dismissed and was a crackpot conspiracy theory. It was one they believed themselves and had evidence for. So they lied. So when people say trust the science, that's fine. But remember, there's no such thing as the science. There is science, and then there are the scientists, some of whom, for various reasons, are prepared to manipulate and lie. Why did they change their minds? One Dutch scientist, Ron Fouchier, said, this lab theory might do unnecessary harm to science in general and science in China in particular. Francis Collins said, worried about doing great potential harm to science and international harmony. Kirsten Anderson and Robert Gary, who were part of that group, received 8.9 million to study emerging infectious diseases in August 2020 from Anthony Fauci's National National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, part of Francis Collins' National Institutes of Health. Follow the money is good advice. All right, let's look at another aspect in terms of politics. Now, different countries have had different ways of handling it and Possibly, you know, Brazil, UK, USA, Australia, Russia, Africa, whatever. And it looks as though most of us are going to end up with more or less the, the same result. There has been some that have been better than others. I think one of the great heroes of this whole thing is a scientist called Anders Tegno. Here he is speaking to Unheard. I think we try to argue that from fairly early on that this is the disease we have to learn to live with. More and more countries are taking that position because even with a fantastic vaccine, the way we have it, uh, we can we can control it, but we cannot eradicate it. Uh, and I think that's the difference we need to understand and, and live with. And and then we need to look at it in a different way. We have to, have to accept, I think, a certain level of spread in the society. We probably have to accept there's going to be a few cases in our hospitals with COVID-19 in the foreseeable future. Just like we are accepting a few cases of flu or a few cases of many diseases uh, that we cannot control completely. Now, what I loved about Anders Tegno was right at the beginning, he said, don't judge what we're doing just now. Judge us in a year's time. Well, I've got a map I'm looking at right now, which shows, in fact, I'll put a link to it, which shows that Sweden has come out best of all the European countries despite all the prophecies of doom and tens of thousands of deaths. And here's the thing about COVID. We can't eradicate it. COVID zero is a fantasy. And lockdowns, in effect, don't work. Here's Nicola Sturgeon, finally, I think, coming to that realisation. We're still in a very, very challenging situation with Omicron, as many, many countries across the world are. Uh, That challenge is particularly acute for the National Health Service. But for the protective measures we introduced before Christmas and but for the very responsible behaviour of the public, I think we would be in an even more challenging situation right now than we are uh, and some of our projections pre-Christmas have not quite come to pass because we've managed, I think, uh, to mitigate to some extent what the Omicron wave uh, would otherwise have presented for us. 
Well, when I say she's coming to the realisation, notice she says we're going to have masks. It's Scotland's like this country where it's forever winter and never Christmas. I, I'm, I don't want to go back to Scotland if I've got to wear a mask all the time. Why? What evidence does she have? You know, the interesting thing is she said we, we had John Swinney on from the Scottish government actually lying, saying that the statistics showed that the Scottish government's stricter methods were working better than in England. But he cited figures that came before the measurements, the stricter measures came in. And actually, the real figures show that the Scottish government's situation has made no difference at all. And notice also how Nicola Sturgeon talks about the virus still takes lives. Yes, so does the flu. So do the, does the appalling drug situation in Scotland. There are many things that take lives and government can't protect us from them all. You know, I look at what's going on in China where three port workers in Dalian have been sentenced to five years for not wearing masks while handling cargo. I think of what's going on, or by the time you get this, what's happened with Djokovic, which as yet I don't know. But now we've got three countries investigating him. And then I think of these wise words from Jordan Peterson in a fabulous interview. The comparisons are there. I mean, a lot of what the Nazis did were, were public health. They were, guys, they were in the guise of public health. I mean, eradication of the unfit. That was public health. That, that was justification. And, and, and a, a lot of the Nazi horrors grew out of that initial justification. I'm not trying to make a you know, cheap comparison to what's happening in Western society with COVID, but, but, you know, the problem is, is that if you're acting in accordance with some high ethical standard, I'm going to protect you, and, and because you need to be protected, you deserve to be protected, your health is, is paramount, and even one life is too many, it's like, well, yes, but because that's become an absolute of some sense, in some sense, it's hard to say what that doesn't justify. That's the problem. What doesn't it justify? And the whole reason we have rights, well, there's a lot of reasons. We have rights because we're, we're, in, we're of intrinsic value and societies that don't recognize those rights collapse very rapidly. So it's not like they're granted to us. We, we fail to recognize our intrinsic value at our peril. Now you need to read the whole thing, but he's right. Health and the idea of keeping people safe can be used to justify everything. And if you doubt that, conduct this wee experiment with me. Supposing I told you I know a way of saving hundreds of thousands of lives that the government could do. What would you say if the government didn't do it? You know what you'd say? You'd say, that's terrible. They should do it. Well, reduce the speed limit to five miles per hour. That would save hundreds of thousands of lives. Or even more, if you banned alcohol. You don't want to do it? Don't you care? There's a shadow on the faces Of the men who fan the flames Of the wars that are fought in places But we can't even say the names They sell us the president the same way They sell us our clothes and our cars they sell us everything from youth to religion the same time they sell us our awards I want to know who the men in the shadows are I want to hear somebody asking them why They can be counted on to tell us who our enemies are But they're never the ones 
Finally, let's just say something about the church. What has the response of the church been? I remember hearing a stunning clip by Tom Holland, not a Christian, historian, who said, I don't want to hear health advice from bishops. I want to know what God has to say. I want to know what the Bible has to say. I want to know the wisdom from the past when the church always had to deal with plagues. Well, there are some in the church who've joined in the conspiracy theorists. There are some in the church who've politicized it. There have been far too many in the church who have just seen themselves as the uh, spiritual social work wing of the government doing everything that the government said. There have been those in the church, such as the group of uh, church leaders in Scotland who took the government to court over them closing churches down. And I think they were quite right. But I guess it's easy to criticise in some way. But I do miss, I, I agree with Tom Holland, and I want to suggest this as we close. First of all, our first response should be humility. We don't know. We don't have this under control. We're not great. We're not going to handle this. In contrast to the hubris of the politicians and the commentators and the know-it-alls, we need a lot more humility. I was thinking, I mean, working through Job, one of the things I've had to do because of COVID is I've done a lot more online video stuff. And some of you have been watching these Coffee with Job's, and I think I'm up to 104. And the last one that I did, it's Job 34, and this verse struck me. If it were God's intention and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. It's God who preserves. It's God who keeps us. And we need to get a better grasp of the doctrine of providence. I think prayer, one of the things I did for 180 days, I think, was produce prayer notes for a group called Christians United here in Australia. And that was, for me personally, it was actually a helpful task, uh, seeing the bigger picture and just crying out to the Lord and knowing we didn't have this, knowing I don't have it. I don't grasp all of this. I mean, right now I'm sitting here a little bit scared to go out because I'm due to go on holiday and it will be all dependent on me passing one of these rat tests, with a great name. Otherwise, I'm going to have to cancel my holiday on Sunday um, because apparently traveling to a state which has loads of COVID already is from a state which has loads of COVID um, is not allowed. None of that makes sense to me. But it does mean I have I, I pray and I pray about my own health. I pray about other people's health. I pray myself and Annabelle. We pray daily that God would protect us, this city, this country and the world from this plague. Pray for our family. Members of our family have had COVID. So I think humility and prayer, a better understanding of the doctrine of providence would really, really help. And again, please, can we stop politicizing everything, including um, this illness and don't trust in princes and don't trust in health administrators don't poo-poo ec- experts and uh, don't believe everything you read on the internet just as well or even everything you hear from me my, my point is simply we just don't know 
so many things. And don't allow yourself to be emotionally bullied by those who demonize you if you don't agree with their expert opinion on this disease that in some ways we know so little about. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. I'm going to leave you with the psalm that sustains me at all times, Psalm 91. Not a guarantee that we won't get COVID, but it is a guarantee that the Lord is in control. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare And from the deadly pestilence as well He will cover over you with his feathers Next week we're going to return with another special and it's going to be on the new Gnosticism. And if you don't know what that is, join in next week. You'll find out because it's as important, if not more important, than COVID. See you then. Or if you want, sorry, if you want to support us, go to the Podbean fundraiser. Always forget that bit. And any suggestions or comments as well, let me know. God bless and see you then. Bye. You'll not fear the terror of the night time. Nor the arrow that flies by day Nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness Nor the plague that destroys at midday A thousand may fall at your sight at your right hand But it will not come near you You will only see You will only observe when judgment comes For he commands his angels concerning you to guard you Stone. You will dread.
Show. 